evening, everyone. I'm Amelia Robinson, the Columbus Dispatch's Opinion and Engagement Editor. Welcome to Columbus Conversations, Why Can't We Afford the Child Care Crisis? As we all know, there are health wanted ads all over the place in Columbus, the state, and the nation. It is clear to everyone who's paying attention that we cannot address the, the need for more workers on the job without addressing the cost of child care during the pandemic for families, childcare workers, and the community at large. A recent report from Action for Children illustrates as much. More than a third of childcare providers in Franklin County have raised tuition since July 2021. 16% of childcare programs in the region have closed since the beginning of the pandemic about two years ago. And half of childcare centers are short-staffed. We will talk about all these issues, um, the financial costs to families and to uh, the community at large, as well as the toll this is taking not only on workers who work in the childcare industry, but also parents. As always during these talks, you're welcome to join in by submitting questions in the chat in Facebook. I'm going to get to as many of those questions as I can, but I won't get to all of them. I'll do the best I can. That's all we can do. This is a event is a part of the dispatches celebration of 150 years of service to Columbus, Central Ohio, and the rest of the state. You can support local journalism like this by subscribing to the Columbus Dispatch at dispatch.com slash subscribe now. Now I'm going to get to our panel, which is, you know, all very engaged folks from all over our community. We have Stivers, who is president and CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. We have Erica Crowley, who is president of the Franklin County Board of Commissioners. Jane Leach, CEO of Future Ready Columbus. Gina Gann, who is CEO of Columbus Early Learning Center. We have Lisa Pat McDaniels, who is CEO of Workforce Development Board of Central Ohio. And we have Alexis Voss, a parent, writer, and activist in our community. So big cheers to them. Our first question is going to go to Alexis, uh, who is not the only mother on the panel, but she's going to be our main champion for, that's not true, everybody on the panel is her mothers, but she's going to represent all motherhood today. Is that okay, Alexis? I can do that. Okay. So what has your experience been um, during the pandemic and how has uh, it affected your, your ability to find care for your children? Yeah, so um, I filed at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. So um, following that, uh, the following school year, I decided to homeschool our first grader. Um, so between me not working, not receiving maternity leave, and then my husband getting laid off, uh, like most people, our financials were very tight. Um, so even with our oldest back to school now, I am still unable to put my toddler into daycare and return to work. Um, the main reason being I can't afford it. Um, and also, I just don't personally feel comfortable with it. Um, I think I can speak for most moms in the situation. I would be working just to cover the cost of daycare, which doesn't really make sense for me or my family. And even if we can't afford it, I don't really feel comfortable leaving my children with people who are overworked and underpaid. It just doesn't sit well with me personally. 
Um, so, you know, as parents, we know that child care workers have to possess a huge amount of patience and understanding. So given the circumstances, it becomes a huge safety risk for everyone involved. And we always have to do what's best for our children. So with all that being said, so many women, myself included, our only option really is to stay at home with our kids. How much is the unemployment and sort of job wanted at due to the pandemic in childcare, would you say, from your point of views? Well, I, I mean, and Shannon, I'm sure you can speak to this, um, but we know that uh, many women, uh, primarily women, but perhaps some men too, are not able uh, to go to work because exactly what Alexis is saying you know, they're either can't afford the child care, can't find quality child care. And many of our child care centers has closed, have closed as a result of the pandemic. Just today, uh, when I put out that I was going to be on this panel, I had uh, uh, two friends who have twins who are uh, four, I think. And they let me know that they have gone 10 weeks, almost 10 weeks, not one week of solid daycare because of issues with their center that their children are in. And luckily they're flexible, but that, you know, and that's for people who are in jobs who can't imagine for people who don't have that opportunity or that flexibility. Since I represent the uh, business community, uh, let me put some numbers to what Lisa just talked about. So before the pandemic, the uh, labor participation rate in Ohio in January of 2020 was uh, 63.5%. And uh, last month, the labor participation rate was 61.5%. And to kind of help everybody understand, there's about 5 million people in the workforce. So those 2% times 5 million people is about 100,000 workers that are not in the labor force that were in the labor force pre-pandemic. Um, obviously, not all of those are related to um, to childcare, but many of them probably are related to childcare. And the other thing that's not in that is the number of folks that are still participating in the workforce, but have to reduce their hours as a result of a lack of childcare for their children. So it is reducing the economic growth. It is reducing the number of people that get to participate in the labor force. And I think Alexis really teed it up well. Um, you know, if you look at the numbers, the average uh, daycare for an infant in Columbus, Ohio, is about $12,000 a year. For a toddler, it's about uh, ten or $11,000 a year. So basically, somebody uh, pre-tax has to earn about $30,000 before they take any money home if they have two kids in daycare, just to put it in perspective, assuming they're paying the full fare, obviously. That kind of brings up a study that you guys did, Shannon, with Groundwork about parents cutting back. Can you talk a little bit about that and what do you think the long-term effect will be of this problem? Yeah, so Groundwork Ohio commissioned a poll um, and partnered with Public Opinion Strategies and we were really wanting to get at what parents just like Alexis uh, here in Ohio were saying. So we oversampled parents with children under the age of five. 
And what was really striking to us is um, we talk about this as a workforce issue and an economic issue. And Steve's um, data really underscores that point. But we heard loud and clear from women in particular, 60% of them who are either currently not working or were working fewer hours, 60% of those women said that um, they wanted to work more and they needed access to affordable quality childcare to be able to work more. That's pretty substantial, especially when you consider that prior to the pandemic, 10% of our workforce was made up of parents with children under the age of five. That demographic now accounts for 25% of the workers that have left uh, employment. So this is going to have long-term implications for uh, the workforce and ultimately businesses in the economy. What will it mean for business, Steve, from your perspective? Well, you know, this is about making sure we get everybody participating in the economy. We just brought... Intel to Ohio that's going to bring thousands of new jobs to Ohio, but we've got to find workers that'll do that work. And so uh, we need to get everybody participating in the economy. And I'm, uh, you know, to the point that Shannon just made, and she was talking about workers that have uh, kids under age five, so they're not in school yet. But, you know, really, even when they get in, when kids get in school, you've got to figure out what to do in the afternoon between, say, 2.30 and 5 or 6 o'clock when the parents get home. So childcare is not an issue that goes away once the kids are in school because the school day and the work day don't line up. And uh, that's another issue. So it's not just for parents with children under five. It is an issue that is impacting workers, reducing their hours, reducing their willingness to participate in the workforce. And, you know, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, our mission is to grow the economy. To do that, we need workers. We need people who are willing to go out and work. And so childcare is a giant issue for the 318,000 employers in Ohio. And many of them are uh, undertaking very creative means these days to support their employees and to encourage and, and help uh, those employees get access to meaningful childcare that's affordable for them. I think it's worth noting uh, for our folks that are listening and for us on the screen this evening that, yes, the pandemic did uh, exacerbate the problem and certainly give great um, shine the spotlight on the challenges in the child care setting. But this is a crisis that existed before the pandemic um, in terms of access and availability and affordability. And I'm thinking that probably Gina could weigh in on that uh, from the Columbus Early Learning Center perspective. Thanks, Jane. Um, I think, too, that we're talking about workforce and part of that workforce is our workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So if we don't have the workforce to um, operate every single day, we can't support the workforce. So we really are that workforce behind the workforce. And I think it's really important for us to remember that the men and women that serve in early childhood and after school programs um, 
are really, you know, people who come to the work because they love children and love working um, with children. And so we need to make sure that the, that they are taken care of and that they're um, able to come to jobs that are able to pay them living wages um, and that they can make a living for their family just as everyone else can as they go to work each day. Um, and so part of the childcare issue is us being able to employ a workforce um, and keep that workforce uh, working. Right. And so we, um, and we are not, you know, m- many of us are not the Amazons of Columbus, Ohio. So we cannot start people at, um, you know, $26 an hour. That's not something we can do. We can't necessarily give $3,000 signing bonuses. So the supports that we need from our community and, and organizations that's, that need childcare, um, is that we have to support our workforce too, so that it makes it an attractive space for people to come to work. And if I could just- the same line, Gina, we talk about like restaurant workers and flight attendants and all this. What has it been like for daycare providers on a day-to-day basis to work through this pandemic as essential workers? Um, <laughs> well, we've been there every day. So um, it's, uh, you know, we have been- really, again, those, that workforce behind the workforce, right? And we, um, many of us never closed our doors. We kept operating. We were there for um, all of the essential workers. We were there for everybody who had to go to work every day. And so our staff never got a break. They never got the opportunity to, you know, work from home. Um, And they've been doing this every day. So to Alexis's point, many of them are tired. It has been, they've had more responsibilities because of trying to keep children safe, especially in that under five age group where none of them have access to vaccines yet. We have been, we've had to be, you know, extraordinarily careful to ensure their safety and well-being. Um, and so it has been a very difficult road. Um, and, um, and they're doing more with less, which is, if anyone knows that that's not, you're not supposed to do that and it's not easy to do that. So I think it's, um, it's been stressful and it's been a lot for our employees, but they are amazing superheroes and they do amazing things with children because the one thing that we haven't seen is any negative impacts on our kids. Their, their learning outcomes are not, they have not been affected um, by the pandemic. And I think that that's a real testament to the stability that they've provided in the classrooms the past two years. So we do have one question from Connie, um, which is what are companies doing to help people with childcare, i.e. having childcare at companies for financial help? Are you guys anything that's been innovative or successful in kind of addressing this and helping folks out? I know that, uh, we have had businesses call Future Ready Columbus and just said, um, my my employees, I surveyed my employees and they, they, they live in these zip codes. Could you help me even just connect my families or my employees with the child care providers in the zip codes, either where my company is um, located or where I live? I need help. 
And so um, just co- making connections is one way. And certainly there have been businesses, and I'm, I bet you Steve and uh, Lisa and Pat McDaniel and probably Shannon can weigh on in this, where there have been discussions like, how do you put a child care center in, my, in a place of business? And certainly that involves licensing and um, architectural changes and that kind of thing. It's not impossible, but uh, colleagues, what have you heard out in the field in your business world? Well, if I could start, um, and Amelia, we've really seen two or three things uh, that have been unique and interesting. Uh, for any parents that are on this uh, webinar or Facebook Live, I would tell you, first of all, you should absolutely use a flexible spending account that allows you to put pre-tax dollars uh, in. About 77 million employees across America have access to those at work. One of the authorized uses is childcare. You can put up to $5,000. That won't be probably enough, but it's a good start. And uh, I would urge you to leverage those tax-free dollars. But we've seen a lot of companies uh, start to put daycares on premises. Uh, There was a good article recently, uh, I think it was on NPR, that talked about Bright Horizons, which has some facilities here in Columbus at some companies. But they've added 23 new facilities uh, in the last year. Uh, And companies are starting to pay uh, a tax uh, taxable benefit to their employees who have childcare uh, that says they'll subsidize a certain amount of the childcare, you know, sometimes $500 a month, sometimes um, some biotech and other companies are paying a little more than that. But, uh, you know, if you are an employee, go to your employer and say, hey, if childcare is one of your problems, talk to your HR department, talk to your bosses, see if they can get creative. Uh, First, take advantage of your own tax-free opportunities, but talk to your company and see if they might be willing to be creative and give you, um, you know, a benefit for childcare. Not every company does it, but you won't know unless you ask. Now, just switching gears just a little bit here, everybody knows, or I think everybody does anyway, the importance of early childhood education and sort of that pre-K piece of it all. Um, how has it been affected and are there things that you wish were being doing, done to sort of mitigate the impact of the pandemic on early childhood education? I'm seeing if you're going to jump in there, Jane, or? Yeah, I was looking at Jane too. I, um, know that, um, true, this, this, this question raises really important matters, um, at Future Ready Columbus and, and, um, we all know, uh, or should know, and you know, you will soon know that uh, the first five years of a child's life are critically important to setting the stage for the rest of their lives. Ninety percent of our brains developed before develop before the age of five. Ninety percent. Let that sink in. And so the millions of neural connections are created every second in the child's life. So the environment matters. Conversation matters. Play matters, language matters, dancing matters, digging in dirt matters. And when families are stressed, and um, let's just say child care providers, Gina, it sounds like you have the good fortune of having consistent uh, uh, 
consistency in, in your child care um, settings with your staffing, but not, that's not the case. That's not the norm um, across the board. And so um, relationships, emotional attachments to a, a significant adult throughout the day is critically important. So um, at Future Ready Columbus, we're taking the long term in Franklin County. Uh, and we are working in a collaborative manner, building a system of early childhood supports for our community and aligning the work of all the, all the members of our community that impact a child's readiness for kindergarten. And we're like, why is kindergarten readiness so important? It's those first five years. What happens has lifelong implications, positive and negative. So if I had a magic wand, and if I could develop a system, which is what I'm giving leadership to right now in Franklin County, um, I would make sure that every child knows that they're safe, loved, fed well, and that they um, have meaningful relationships and opportunities to grow each and every day in a solid, solid manner. Sometimes that happens in the home. Sometimes that happens with home care providers or in centers, Um and we have to engage our families and our communities in making sure that happens for our children. And one last thing, when we talk about workforce, what happens in those first five years does influence the workforce of tomorrow. So it's critically important that we all, I think it was Steve that said, link arms and join our forces together and make young children a priority in our community for their lives today and for the future of our families and our communities, most definitely. Erica, is this something you wanted to mm-hmm. in with? Yeah, I, I did. Thank you, Amelia. What I wanted to say is um, obviously parents and children need stability. And what we're seeing, especially during this pandemic and this um, child care crisis being exacerbated is um, the instability with whether a child care would be open all week. As Lisa said earlier that, you know, she has two friends that have twins where for the past 10 weeks, they haven't had consistent child care uh, during that time. Uh, We know that yes, with the child's brain development, most of that happens, 90% of that happens before the age of five. And so that is important. But just even right now, children need stability. And when we have, for instance, in December nationally, 3,700 workers leaving the childcare industry, um, that doesn't give parents um, and children stability. And, and, and it was already mentioned that this was a crisis prior to the pandemic. So we already have workers leaving the industry because they're low wages or they're, you know, they can't depend on, you know, how to, they're going to show up because the guidelines for COVID are confusing and, and they didn't know what to do. But then you have um, child care providers who get sick. So you already have a workforce that's already burdened um, and stretched to the brink. And then you have those that are out. And so that doesn't give families the stability that they need to provide to their children who really flourish when they have, they're on a schedule every single day. They know what to expect. They get up, they have have a routine, and then they get to school. So I do want to talk about that social emotional part um, that's being impacted. And we know that family parents are being stressed with they have to stay home with their children because the kids can't go to school because there might have been an exposure and they have to quarantine. Um, that, that stress and anxiety is high. So I just really want to underscore that that's the impact that we're seeing right now, too, from an emotional perspective with families and children. Mm. 
Now, one thing Mallory in the chat wants to know, what is the state actually doing to encourage companies to help with daycare? And what is the state doing to support child care workers? Uh, along the same lines, what would you like to see the state doing if, or state or whomever doing? Oh, I can jump in. Um, <laughs> I just left the state seven months ago um, and then still continue to have this advocacy right now around the state. Obviously, um, uh, there could be more investment. If we just look at um, how much is investment invested on the state and local level um, is currently about $11.8 billion just nationally for state and locals, right? Where parents are spending um, $42 billion out of their own pocket each year. And even if we look at, um, you know, rich countries just like the United States, we fall behind. Um, most rich countries spend about $14,000 per toddler on toddler care. We're here in the U.S., we're spending about five hundred dollars per t- per child per toddler. The state, especially right now, state of Ohio has about four hundred and ninety nine million dollars in discretionary dollars for child care um, that could be passed through to locals and to, um, to providers that would have a direct impact where they could pay um, higher wages to child care workers um, and, and really help. You know, solidify the foundation that could easily fall out any moment now. And we're not seeing that that investment. So I would like businesses to advocate to, to the, our legislators who usually have the ear of policymakers to have more investment. Um, obviously, you've heard Lisa Pat McDaniel and Steve talk about how businesses are impacted. We can continue to talk about that. But I would like to see more investment and more dollars um, from the state. Uh, I know Shannon was talking we talk about it from being a commissioner just like I can. We're doing all that we can to support child care providers and families um, at the local level. But we really should be leveraging our dollars off of that that might come from the state and federal, um, you know, to really fill in that gap and plug that hole. Um, so, I, I mean, there really could be more advocacy and more, federal, I mean, more investment from the federal level as well as the state. That's what I saw you need. Obviously, just get out of Washington, right? Are there are there things you think the federal government should be doing, or that other states are doing that you wish we were doing here in Ohio? Well, I think uh, the federal government could uh, could be doing more, uh, you know. Uh, and I think uh, Commissioner Crawley talked about how many folks left the childcare industry just last month, but through the pandemic, one hundred and twenty five thousand. Uh, childhood educators that are were in childcare centers uh, have left the profession, uh, and that's a giant issue. So I know Shannon probably uh, can talk more eloquently. I think she's got uh, some efforts that uh, Groundwork Ohio is working on, both at the state and the federal level. You know, I, I don't know that there are any states that do it perfectly, but Ohio could definitely do it better, and I think the federal government could be a better partner in all this. And I'll let Shannon kind of take it from there. I think this is a good tee tee up for the things she's working on. Thanks, Steve. And thanks, Commissioner Crawley. I really appreciate both of your advocacy around this issue because, you know, for all intents and purposes, we have to decide as a state and as a nation, is this is a public purpose. I mean, I love the language that Commissioner Crawley uses that, 
you know, we're, we are way far behind um, almost all developing countries in the development of our most precious resource, and that's our people. And you can't do that on a shoestring and a stick of gum and some hopes and prayers. You really have to invest in it. And this state has really not invested in it using state resources that would leverage federal resources to be able to serve more children and serve them in both higher quality and address some of the affordability issues. We um, certainly get resources from the feds already who have been slowly making some increases in that over time. Um, but it's just not enough. And the state has got to take a leadership role in this and say, if we want to continue to have intels locating in our state, we have to be able to provide for the workforce of today. And as Jane points out, prepare the workforce of tomorrow. And that starts with you know, age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, nurturing, quality caregiving for our youngest learners who are learning from the first breath um, so that they can be our future uh, pipeline of, of workforce. And that's, we cannot do that for nothing. It's going to cost real money. The other thing I would say is, look, I, I think the examples that Steve has made about how some businesses are able to step up and do more for workers, and I hope that there's more of that. But this is a really expensive proposition, and you aren't going to find um, the development of child care centers co-located with um, for, for lower income employees. Restaurants can't run child care centers. Home health uh, agencies can't run child care centers. It, it would be like asking a restaurant to run a school. Um, this mm -hmm. is either a public purpose and the public has to be the strong leading partner and others like business can play a role in that. But we really need this, the state to step up and say, you know what, we need to be that strong partner for our local communities, like the one that Commissioner Crawley is leading, that she's trying to make investments in Franklin County, um, but she can't do it alone. This is expensive and the state's got to be there. I would also advocate, though, that we have a responsibility at the local level as well. We've talked about federal level and we've talked about the state level, but we also have responsibility at the local level to do something about that as well. And so we have our city, we have our county coming to the table to talk about the importance of this crisis that has existed for quite some time. We have our business partners, nonprofit partners, uh, not-for-profit partners are coming and so um, that's a leadership role that we're providing in bringing those parties to the table to say, our young children matter. We can't, I mean, we do have influence over the federal level. Certainly we have influence at the state level, but we can take responsibility here in central Ohio across Franklin County um, and be very proactive in advocating for our children and making young children and the opportunity to come together a priority, the priority for our community. Uh, that, that's what I think we are doing, certainly at Future Ready Columbus with many of you on this screen and many, many others. When I think about 
um, Celebrate One and the Healthcare Collaborative Greater, uh, uh, Greater Columbus, the Columbus Metropolitan Library, um, CODA, COSI, uh, the Community Shelter Board. These parties are coming together and saying, let's do something here. And I think that's of critical importance for our hope and a change of um, practice and belief and behavior on behalf of our young children who are looking to us to advocate for them and to make a difference for them today. Well, I think the most important thing is Eric and Shannon are making a really good point, though, that child care is a public purpose. It needs to be a public purpose. Sure. It needs to be like public education. Now, mm-hmm. There are issues with public education and even public education, whether it's funded fully or how well it works. But every child is entitled to an education in the United States. Every child should be entitled to quality child care and quality care after school and whatever is needed. And, you know, here in Franklin County, everybody that wants to work, we already have more jobs now before Intel comes before Hyperion incomes, we already have more jobs now than there are people in central Ohio. And that may change if immigration law changes, you know, I mean, there may be some migration in, but we still don't have enough people. And so that means that everybody who can work needs to work and we need to support them in that. And is that not a, a passionate, strong enough argument for investment in our children for those two reasons? the people we need to get to work now and the future workforce we're going to need in the future. Now, Alexis, what would you like to see done as a mom? Um, Well, I mean, you know, like they said, like she said, the first five years of our children's life are so important. And it's confusing as a mom that more resources and more money isn't being put into schools and daycares and, um, so, I mean, I would I would like for teachers and daycare providers to have the support that they need in order to give our children the support they need. Yeah, for sure. We have another question from uh, Joy from Facebook. She wants to know what role does equity play? Why is it that 74% of Black children um, are not kindergarten ready? Anybody want to jump on that one? Well, they're not kindergarten ready because there are racial and economic disparities in our community. And they need to be addressed and tackled. And that's why an equitable system needs to be created on behalf of all children. Our goal is that 100%, not 99, not 98, not 23, but 100% of the children in Franklin County will enter kindergarten ready by 2030. And we have how many years to get that done? The, um, the pressure and the passion and the commitment is in our community. It's present. Franklin County is a very different community from across, across the country because all parties are willing and eager to come to the table and have those difficult conversations and acknowledge that we do have racial and economic disparities in our community. And they're not going to go away by wishing them away. It's going to take hard work, thoughtful conversations, courageous conversations, and um, brave work, courageous work. But we believe in that in this community. I I, I would just say, um, 
you know, uh, piggybacking off of what Jane said, I mean, the systemic racism um, is real and it plays a part. I mean, we can even look just at, um, you know, if we talk about racism being a public health crisis, even for K through 12, um, an investment in education, you know, we see that it hasn't been funded properly or fully funded. And who is at the, um, you know, who's severely impacted by that, it's usually black and brown children. And so, and I won't steal Groundworks Thunder because they have a lot of um, information and data on equity work. And and I know that they are really focused on it, but we will not really address the inequities in childcare or being ready for kindergarten or education period, prenatal to, or from cradle to career, unless we have that real conversation about what does it look like to mitigate racism and, and, and um, discrimination? And what does it look like to really invest in it? From an equity perspective, we know that those who are the most, most wealthy can afford high quality five-star childcare um, centers or private childcare um, centers. We know that those who are uh, lower wage workers don't have that luxury, and it will usually be tied to redlining and, and, and things of that nature, and where the providers are and accessibility. All of those things and addressing this in a holistic way when it comes to equity and racism requires us to really look at it from every perspective, from the social determinants of health, because we could talk about housing, we could talk about health and, and, and how that plays into education, but then funding and why we have not had the resources historically and what will it take? And as someone on here said that, I mean, this is, you know, a, a heavy investment, but who else will we invest in if it's not our children? Who are going to be, who is our future? I, I said the other day, um, I was in an interview, and I know that there are um, elected officials who feel like when it came to childcare specifically, they were asked about increasing the contribution from government to uh, for childcare, and they said I, they don't believe that it's government's uh, responsibility to take care of other people's children. If we have elected officials and people who believe that it's not our responsibility to take care of other people's children, I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, everybody's children are my children. I, I'm in Franklin County. So if they're, I want my children to grow up in a place where people are caring about them and investing in them because it is. we are all inextricably linked. Our success is tied to the success of our children. And that kind of feeds into a question from Harper who wants to know what is the current costing, what is it currently costing us as a, a city county, state to not invest in early childhood? And what would our community look like if we did invest in prenatal through H5 resources? So I, I'll, I'll take a take a um, swing at this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can um, understand this from an economic perspective pretty clearly. I mean, we know in Ohio alone um, that studies tell us that um, we're losing $1.7 billion with a B, billion dollars annually in economic pro- productivity. Um, that when we don't have um, access to quality early learning for parents to be able to send their kids to so that they can work and, and consistently be able to focus on their work, our economy is being impacted substantially. Um, but we also know on the family level, and Alexis's story is really stuck with me, and I wish I could say that she was alone in all of this, but her story is incredibly familiar. I mean, when you're talking about 
And just to give a little perspective here, with the cost of childcare, um, you know, the the sort of standard for comparison sakes is um, families should pay no more than seven percent of their income for childcare. That's kind of, kind of the the standard. How you know if if childcare is affordable. And so if you have a two-parent family with two children under the age of five, they're typically paying 20% of their income towards childcare. So nearly three times what that standard is. But if you have a single parent with two children um, in the home needing childcare, that number is 60 to 80% of that parent's income is going to childcare. And so the truth of the matter is, is the bottom line is work doesn't pay for so many of these families. And what we are asking families to do is to take such a huge percentage of their income to put it into childcare (laughs) that they are stretched to make their rent payments or their housing payments, their food payments. And, And it's, you know, we are not going to be able to survive as a nation if we don't do more to support these families with young children, particularly low income families who want to work. We have to make it pay. He has to pay them to take care of their families. Can we talk about women for a little bit here? You brought it up a little bit in your um, your comments just now, Shannon. A lot of these fa- families who are affected the most are single moms and um, not to not to make our only man feel <laughs> uncomfortable, but a lot of the rearing of children falls to women in, in, the, in the first place. Long-term effects on women in the in, as a result of this, what do you think they're going to be and how can we stop it from being so severe for women in Franklin County? You're going to say something, Lisa? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's the economics. If, if you are responsible for the care of your children and you're trying to maintain, and let's say you're a single mom and you're trying to have a job and you're trying, and it it may be flexible, it may not be. If you decide you've got to step back or reduce your hours, um, that has long-term economic effects on your earning ability over time. So um, if women step out of the workforce, uh, you know, they're losing, they're basically losing money, right? And not just money to pay for what they need now, but money that they need to invest in assets, uh, if they can, if they even make enough uh, long term, you know, they're trying to work longer. Uh, they may never make up that time they've had to step out um, to take care of their children. I mean, it has long term real economic effects for women, if especially if they are the primary and only breadwinner in that household. So, you know, that that's just, again, more problems farther down the road um, that we have to deal with. So we need to do everything we can to figure out 
how to support women going back to work. And Commissioner Crawley and the other uh, two commissioners gave us funding to try to figure that out to help women get back into the workforce. But we can figure all kinds of things out. But if they don't have quality child care, it's not going to matter. They're still not going to be able to go back. Yeah, I want to go back because this number is quite um, staggering. Um, and she, you know, we've talked about the cost to the individual homeowner or the family when they what they have to pay for childcare. Let's pull the lens back and talk about um, the expense to our society, actually, because if we don't have this aligned and equitable um, prenatal to age five system, which is what Harper had asked. We know that those children don't enter kindergarten ready. And when children don't enter kindergarten ready, the Crane Research Center at Ohio State has done a longitudinal study and shown that there's a correlation between um, how children enter kindergarten, where they are, and it's called on a kindergarten readiness assessment. And there's a correlation between that and how children read at third grade. And when children don't read well at third grade, now this is a, this is a research that shows kindergarten readiness linked to third grade, and the third grade is linked to um, life outcomes like a higher rate. So talk about the cost, a higher rate of placement in special education, a higher rate of high school dropouts, a higher rate of brushes with juvenile justice, higher um, teen pregnancy rates. And so tick, tick, add that up, and it's really quite expensive. So there is a there are higher costs to society, um, and then there are lower revenues to society as well. We've been doing some research, um, and just um, I want to make sure that I'm giving you the right figure because you're just not you're just gonna woo say can it be? When we looked at hard data, hard data facts um, at our incarceration rates and the juvenile justice system teens involved in that and the high school dropouts in Franklin County, that's 380, 380 million with an M million dollars a year when children do not enter kindergarten ready. That's staggering. So there's a cost to moms. There's a cost to families. There's a cost to society. And that is an annual cost. So we, we just have to, get serious about making our young children a priority. You need to get back to work. Who would you need? Um, I would need affordable, safe childcare. Um, I, like most women, want to work. I don't, I love my children, but um, I would love to be employed and have my own identity outside of my house, and I'm unable to do that. So um, just affordable daycare. Now, Steve, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Oh, no problem at all. No, I wanted to hear from Alexis. And, you know, I wanted to take off on something that uh, Jane was talking about. And, and before that, Lisa, I think, was talking about when um, when women step away from the workplace, they're not paying taxes. So there's a cost to society there. They're not saving for retirement. Most people uh, pay for retirement through savings of their wages. Uh, so it has long term impacts. And more importantly, for the overall economy, they're not in the labor force. I already talked about how that reduction of workforce participation is something that is a problem in Ohio because we have all these new jobs coming in. So it's not just the women that suffer. It's the entire workforce and the economy that suffers 
when we don't have good daycare and childcare for um, the family, the entire family, to be able to have both parents go to work if they want to go to work. And Alexis just talked about that struggle and how she wants to go to work, but she needs reliable, affordable, safe daycare for her kids. Exactly. Sorry, I just wanted to add that, you know, too, when you were talking about women and the impact of like the impact this is having on women. um, And I think Alexis alluded to it is that for women to be able to work and have that identity and have that independence and the ability to lead their household. um, What we are seeing a lot of is women having to make really significant choices in regards to the benefits cliff. And so many women who are able to get benefits, and I'm talking about the publicly funded child care subsidy, if they are able to qualify um, for that system, which is becoming more and more difficult because of the um, rise in starting wages that we're seeing in our community, but if they are able to enter into that system, they are turning down um, promotions, they're turning down new jobs or different jobs because it's so critical for them to be able to hold on to their ability to pay for childcare and it be it, it and it for it to be something that they can afford because they have that subsidy that's provided by the state. And so we have moms who you can tell how devastating it is to them and their um, who they are and their identity and and their self-confidence because they can't take the jobs that they want and are and are available to them and could take the promotions because they can't lose those child care benefits. And I think that that is, you know, a big piece of this conversation that is a lot of times left out or overlooked because it's such a complicated system. And the the funding that goes into childcare is so broken that it makes it so complicated that a lot of people really want to just throw their hands up and say, I don't know, or it's not my problem. And, um, and kind of walk away from it because once we start to tackle that one system, there are many interconnected systems that really need to be looked at cohesively and holistically so that we can really solve the issue of childcare and really boost families and especially single moms in our communities to a place where they can be successful and give their family the the way of life that they see fit for their family. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, retention has always been an issue in the childcare industry. Um, I know wages is is one way, but are there other things that can be done to retain um, workers who want to do this kind of work? Well, we've tried everything. (laughs) So, um, and I mean, we have fairly good retention, um, but it is difficult because, um, you know, as wages in our community have increased throughout the pandemic, because there has been more of a a pool for that next hire, that next person. Um, Childcare workers are looking at one another and saying, wait a minute, I can go work over here. Um, I always give the example that at the top of my street, there's this lovely little restaurant that is a favorite in our, our neighborhood. 
but they're offering people $22 an hour starting. Um, and childcare, it's, it, as, um, Commissioner Crawley alluded to, the state isn't really releasing many of the funds that could be released for us to be able to keep up with the rates that have increased in hourly wages. Um, but if we could do that, um, I think that would really add to the ability for us to retain our incredible workforce because these men and women deserve those types of wages because they work so hard and they have such a, a significant impact on children's lives. And, um, and it, it's just, it's been difficult that, so I think hourly wages, but we do everything from monthly lunches to, you know, helping pay bills, you name it, we've done it to help retain our employees and to show them appreciation and how much we care. Um, and we also offer, all lines of benefits. We have a 401k that we match at 5%. So working in childcare, you get similar benefits. It's just the starting wages have not been able to keep up with inflation and the rise in our wages in our community. Well, and Amelia, I, I'd like to jump in here because I think we just have to dispel the notion that there's anything that people can do Um you know, in, in lieu of wages to address the workforce challenge. I mean, prior to the pandemic, the average childcare worker in the state of Ohio made $10.67 an hour, and most of them didn't get any benefits. We're talking about healthcare, we're talking about vacation, or even sick time. So if a, a childcare um, provider is able to even get some benefits, they are not the norm. And so even with the wage pressures that have been out there, um, they may be making $11, $12, $13 an hour, and still the benefits issues aren't getting addressed. And, and so it's like this is it's a completely absurd system that really you have low-income workers, women, 97% of this workforce are women in, who are working in it. And, and a disproportionate number of them are Black women and women of color. And we're basically subsidizing the cost of this system on the backs of those low-wage workers. And so I just got to say right here that if anybody thinks that uh, you know, having their lunch paid for or assistance with, um, you know, bill payment and other things is any substitution for treating these um, professionals like the professionals they are and giving them a living wage where we're trying to be creative to get them to stay at these jobs that they're passionate about. They're passionate about their work, but they can't pay their bills. They can't provide their own for their own families. Many of them, 50% of them have said they have experienced food insecurity themselves working full time. Let's dispel ourselves of the notion that there's something else that can be done we must invest in these women and these and respect uh, these women and women of color so that um, they take care of our children, our most precious resource, um, in a way that is nurturing and responsive and gives them and us as workers what we need. 
Okay, so guys, we got five more minutes. Um, and I want to ask one question because I don't like to leave things on a downward spiral. And it's kind of, it's, I know it feels very heavy for folks, childcare being a crisis. But are there things that you see that give you reason for hope that we can get ourselves out of this, this bind? If you can keep it short, <laughs> five more minutes. I think just that people are more aware of what's actually happening. Um, like I probably, I can't really afford childcare if we're not in a pandemic, but now that there's so much attention towards it, I'm really, really hopeful that something will be done and we, we will see change within the childcare system. And I would say that change is happening in Franklin County um, in the development of this future ready by five plan. And I alluded to the fact that um private and public parties are coming to the table and saying young children matter for today and for tomorrow. Let's roll up our sleeves and do something about it. And it's called future ready by five. Check it out. And I would, I would just add, um, I'm seeing such amazing things like, I mean, commissioner Crawley is such a stalwart champion, but what's really important about local leaders like commissioner Crawley is they're starting to put local dollars into this. And that's a really positive sign. They can't do it alone, but I think they're changing the conversation. And I think the president of the United States has changed, dramatically changed this conversation with Build Back Better. (laughs) No matter what you think about that proposal or individual components about it, we're talking about childcare and we're talking about a national effort to invest in a prenatal to five system to actually solve the problem. That's good news. Yeah, I would just say that, um, unfortunately, it, it took a pandemic, but a silver lining is I think you definitely have the business community here in this conversation where they, I don't believe that they really were before, but now that they see the impact by their own workforce, they are at, in the conversation and at the table. That is that is great. Um, but I also think, like Shannon said, you have local leaders who are like, okay, um, we have to invest to the extent that we can um, in our workforce, in our um, in our child care providers, in our families, um, and we'll do what needs to be done. But also, like, I'm here at NACO, I'm in D.C., but I get to work with Commissioner Jones um, on a resolution advocating with the National Association to the federal government to say, like, I'll put partisan politics aside. Um, we need a comprehensive child care plan that takes all of these things into consideration and you have people whether they're suburban urban um, or rural coming together and saying yes let's try to get this done however we can get it done and so that gives me hope and amelia i think the other thing are the children right that that is why we're here right that they if you look at them and you have seen and watched them over these past two years they should give you hope because they are these amazing, resilient little beings that have uh, have really, I mean, they have just surprised us in how well they have done and been responsive to all of the things that we've thrown at them about masks and, you know, different washing your hands and all, all of those things that have come about with the pandemic that have been changes for children they have responded in a way that is just so beautiful and and really should give all of us hope about our future and what it means and that 
the children just really have this amazing way of seeing every situation um, that we should all really take our lead from them. You know, the big hope is this is a crisis, make good use of a crisis. And I think finally, this might be the crisis where it happens, right? And everybody on here, I think we're just some of the lead, but there's lots of people I think who want to see it change. Well, hey, I just want to thank our panelists. We had a great conversation. You'll be able to replay this whole conversation on Facebook, YouTube, and on our um, website, dispatch.com. We had Steve Stivers, who is from the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, Shannon Jones of Groundwork Ohio, Erica Crowley from the Franklin County Board of Commissioners, Jane Leach from Future Ready Columbus, Gina Ginn from Columbus Early Learning Center, Lisa Pate, I'm sorry, Pat McDowell uh, from Workforce Development Board of Central Ohio and Alexis Voss, who is a a mother here in town and an artist and activist. So the conversation is going to keep going. Um, You can find out more about upcoming conversations on our website, dispatch.com. You can also join our Facebook group, um, which is uh, Columbus Conversations. You can sign up for a brand new newsletter, Columbus Conversations, where we'll be sending opinions right to your inbox. And you can always subscribe to The Dispatch to support our work at dispatch.com. Subscribe now. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We have another conversation coming up on the 24th about the future of Black history. So watch out for information about that. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you.